When I first was hired by a United Methodist Church in 1983, and I was hired to be the assistant to the pastor, it was my job to take out, uh, for many of you, this will be an, a technology you've never heard of. Uh, I, I took recorded cassette tapes of the worship experience to our shut-ins, and there were between 20 and 30 shut-ins, and that was my primary job, visiting each week and taking them each a tape uh, so that they could listen to whatever uh, the service held. That was really pretty much most of my job description. The job description changed a little bit over time. Now, fast forward, you know, I became a pastor in, uh, under appointment, and there's a, like three pages in a book called the Book of Discipline that actually tells me what a pastor shall do and what a pastor may do. And if any of you work in any field for the most part in life, you see a job description before you start, you know what the job entails, and for some kinds of jobs you get a job offer letter that kind of describes to you how much they're gonna pay you and what you expect and all those kinds of things. I have an undergraduate degree and a master's degree, and I wanna tell you I never had a seminary class about how to climb a ladder and hang a, uh, a uh, LCD projector for worship. And yet at St. James, I did it in the old building and in this building, new to us building. They don't really tell you a lot. They hope you know something about how to, uh, you know, how to clean toilets and pump, uh, you know, if there's a stop to get out, you know, a plunger and get that going again. They don't tell you that that's really part of the pastor's job, but if it has to be done and it's Sunday morning and things aren't working and you're the one person who knows how to use a plunger, you better be prepared to do those kinds of things. Now, these are all things I don't mind doing, but they are not in my job description. Uh, and, and it's perfectly fine. One of the important, uh, I, one of the things we do at St. James every summer uh, except for this past summer, is we send a team to Appalachian Service Project. We go to Appal Appalachia and we rebuild and make a house safe, warm, and uh, safe, warm, and secure. I don't think it's safe, warm, and safe, warm, and dry. There we go, safe, warm, and dry. Uh, and we do that together. But one of the most important things, if you want to be hired and work for that organization, not as a volunteer, but as a working person, is you can't ever use this phrase, that's not in my job description. If they need you to, if, if your job is to raise funds and to do mailers, and they suddenly need help moving chairs for a meeting down the hallway, and they come and say, come on down and help us move chairs, and you say, that's not in my job description, you will probably be looking for a new job. You will probably be looking for a new job. Now you might say, what is all this job description stuff about? Because I want to tell you about the calling of Matthew this morning and the job description he gets about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's one verse. It's verse 9 in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. It's in all three, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in all three stories. Uh, but this, I just decided since it's Matthew's book, 
and it's Matthew's call. Why not throw in Matthew's call from Matthew's book? Now, I'm going to read it to you. Don't blink, because otherwise you'll miss it. As Jesus was walking along, very good, got a good setting. Jesus is walking along. He did a lot of that, so we're good. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, I want you to look carefully for the stipulations about what his job would entail as a follower of Jesus in his call. Jesus was walking along. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. There's really not much job description there, is there? It's kind of like stepping out into the totally unknown. It's like if you go to a store that's opening up, only you don't know what they're going to sell or what they're going to do in the store, but they're asking for applications. You turn in a resume. You don't even turn in a resume. They saw you working at the local uh, library, and they decided to say, come on down. We've got a job for you. You go down there, no job description, and you just walk in. They do an interview with you. Hey, come to work for us. No job description, and you have to show up for work right now. No, no, go back to the library and say, I'm done. No uh, break with things. You start now. And that's Matthew's call. Follow me. Not follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus tried that on the fishermen who he called. But that did not... Uh, that did not get to be Matthew's call because Matthew was a tax collector. And I don't think that it would have worked out as well for him to say, follow me and I'll make you a taxer of men. I just don't think that that's because he had already had that job. And by the way, it was an, a thankless job and it was a corrupt job and it was an, a job that didn't require any ethical standards whatsoever. A tax collector in the first century essentially said to somebody else, I will raise the I'll make a bid. I'll get you $1,000 in taxes if you hire me. And they say, fine. The Roman army is at your command. If you have trouble getting the money out of the people locally, we'll just let them, you can call them in and they'll force them. But otherwise, and you can take as much as you want, as long as I get the $1,000 you promised me. If you take in $3,000, it's yours. The $2,000 is yours. The $1,000 is mine. So you, as long as you raise it, and tax collectors were essentially hated. You may think the IRS is hated. You don't even have a thing on it. Because tax collectors in those days had absolutely no rules. Whatever it took to get the money they promised, they could do it. So this is the kind of guy Matthew is. He's working in the tax booth. That means he was probably extorting people out of money. He was taking away their very livelihood. Sometimes it was the last thing they had in their pocket, and he took it anyway. That was the way tax collecting worked in the first century. Aren't you glad that's not the way the IRS works? I, I, I suspect you'll stop complaining if we started having tax collectors like the first century that showed up and just said, I, I noticed you've got a Lexus. Well, that's ours now. And by the way, we like your house, too. That's ours right now, too. So go find a place to live. Uh, show up on your farm and take all of your crops. 
You can keep that stalk of corn over there. We don't like the way that corn looks. So you can have that one stalk. The rest of it's ours. I guess we'd probably be pretty happy. So be thankful for the IRS, I guess, as opposed to first century tax collection. I don't know what Jesus saw in him. You don't know what Jesus saw in him. But Jesus saw something in Matthew. And Matthew was called. And he got the simple job description, follow me. Follow me into the unknown. Follow me into, uh, into a life you can't even imagine. Follow me and I'll show you how to be a disciple. One of the things I think we've lost in Christianity today is the sense of apprenticeship. That this journey into becoming a person of faith, it's nice if you say yes. <laughs> Some places seem to think that's all you have to do is just say yes once and you're done. Say yes to Jesus, you're good. But it's really kind of an apprenticeship. It's really kind of spending your life from then on looking at other people who are following in the way of Jesus and reading those stories about Jesus. And if you read between the lines in those stories, there's a lot less rules and a lot more do it like I do it. He sees somebody on the side of the road. They call out his name. What does he do? Does he ignore them? No. He stops. He might be on his way somewhere else. Somebody may be expecting him for lunch and he's going to be late. Does he seem to care about that? No. He cares about the person who's right in front of him. What else does he do? He brings healing into people's lives. Not hurt, but healing. If you're a Christian and you're bringing more hurt into people's lives and you're bringing healing, chances are pretty good you're just calling yourself by the name. <laughs> you're not really taking it very seriously. Let me tell you what the bottom line is. You've heard from lots of different churches. Do you know what our mission is at St. James? To be bridge builders at the intersections of everyday life. That's what it is. But do you know what the basic, real mission of the church is? Be love. That's it. Be love. You're already loved. Now be love to everybody else. Do you know what our vision is? A world filled with love. Everywhere you go, love. Republicans, loving Democrats. Democrats, loving Republicans. Whoever is who, loving each other. That is the whole vision of the church. Not division but bringing things together. I love you, you love me, and we may see things differently. You may squeeze the toothpaste at the bottom, I squeeze the toothpaste at the top, but in the end, I'm gonna love you either way. Maybe we should each have our own tube of toothpaste because we're unable to share. I don't know. You and I don't do well, though, with ambiguity. Can we just be honest with each other? We would much rather have managed complexity than unmanaged simplicity. All Jesus wanted you to do was follow two rules. Two. Two. Do you know how many rules we have now? I don't know. The Book of Discipline in the United Methodist Church is almost as thick. No, not as thick as this Bible. And that's because this is in big print because my eyes are bad. So it had to put a bigger book. Much bigger book. But the Book of Discipline, filled with lots and lots of rules. Somewhere in there, I'm sure it says, we have three rules in the United Methodist Church. Do no harm, do all the good you can, and essentially do the things that help you love God better. 
Those sound like nice rules, except Jesus only had two. Two. The two rules were love God, love your neighbor. Period. Period. That's the bottom line. That's all God really wants us to do. Love God and love our neighbor. But we don't like that. That's why we have books this thick with lots and lots of rules, because we would much rather be able to point to somebody when they break the rules. How do you point to somebody and say, that was not particularly loving? Well, it felt loving to me. You know, uh, well, it didn't feel loving to me. And, of course, because we're stubborn, just because you don't think it feels loving to you, I can think it feels loving, and I'm perfectly in my own right to decide. I was being loving. Tough for you. <laughs> Immediately, it doesn't even sound like love. Doesn't sound like love at all. Follow me. Follow me into the unknown. What I learn about discipleship when I look at Matthew is I don't know what Jesus was like as a person, but simply saying follow me was enough, was enough for Matthew to leave a lucrative position that offered him a certain amount of security. And, uh, you know, sure, he was hated by everybody in town, but he had the nicest house. I mean, if you wonder how Matthew must have been doing as a person, read verse 10. You know, I told you Matthew 9, 9 was all you needed today. When you get to 10, Jesus goes to Matthew's house for a party. You could not afford to throw a party if you were poor. It's a party with other tax collectors so, and sinners. You know, there are three listed kinds of uh, job descriptions of, of sinners in, in the, 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 I don't know what it is about the Gospels. They've got three that they like to talk about, tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. Those are the three job descriptions. Sinners just cover everybody else. Uh, but there's a party, and Jesus is at it with sinners. And this becomes an issue. Who does it become an issue for? The people who like managed complex, manageable complexity, the Pharisees. People like you and me. I would sure like to be able to point to somebody else who's messing it up because it makes me feel better about me because I'm not messing up on that rule. Now I may be messing up the other 99, but the hundredth rule you're messing up, I feel better about me by pointing to the one rule you're messing up. And that is managed complexity because we don't want to deal with the simplicity of Jesus' message. To be a disciple means you just need to be love. You need to be love to your kids. You need to be love to your parents. You need to be love to your friends, to your siblings, to your enemies. You heard me. If you be love enough to your enemies, you won't even have any enemies. They'll all be your friends. James, James, James. That's utopian. That's no, no, that's the kingdom. I don't care how realistic it is, is what Jesus preached. The only way you have enemies is if I hate you and you hate me. Once I start loving you and you eventually get over your hate of me, I don't have any enemies. Imagine a world like that. That's the world God imagines. And that's why God called us to be love in the world to be love in the world. So the people on the west end of Alexandria eat and don't go hungry. Behind me every week 
is food. You may think that these are props. Every week, fresh stuff goes up here. The new stuff that you all send to us, either through Instacart or, and this week we got two Instacart deliveries, and our neighbors started thinking we must have three or four new kids because we get diapers every day on the front, and that they must all wear size three, four, or five. This happens to be a five I'm displaying today, but three, four, and fives pile up on our front porch. And I'm not talking, they must think we have six three-year-olds uh, because on our front porch, there will be days. I've, I've, I've had conversation, one quick conversation with, the Amazon guy is great who delivers to my front door. I love him and he now loves me. But originally, he would have so much stuff to put in our house, he would stack it almost against the front door. So I would open the front door, and I couldn't open the screen door and bring anything in because I couldn't open the door because there was so much stuff that you all gave because we're being love on the West End. And you know what I didn't mind? Walking all the way around the house through the back door and getting that stuff. And you know why I didn't mind? Because I knew you were being love to the west end of Alexandria. And I was just an extension of that. When you help us love one another, you're an extension of the kingdom. That's what Matthew learned to do with his life. Follow me and I'll show you what love looks like. It's messy. You have an appointment at 12 and it's 11.45 and somebody's got a blown tire at the side of the road. And you... I, I, I can't be late for the 12 o'clock appointment. Who's more important, the person with the blown tire or the appointment? Well, in our society, the appointment. <laughs> Plus, you don't know who the guy is on the gal on the side of the road with a blown tire. Jesus was about the relationship, the one that was right here, and it was messy. What would it look like if you lived your discipleship more messily? If you came into our worship center right now, you would see that we're doing our best to live discipleship messily. We have stacks of chairs over there because we had to suddenly, when we became an all online, all the time experience, we needed to bring in theatrical lights. Well, then the theatrical lights became extraneous because we have new lights on the ceiling that are just the same. But had the old lights gone away? No. Why? Because I haven't moved them. And uh, that's why. I moved them in, I can move them out. In the end, it's just messy. Do I want to? Is it in my job description to clean the toilet on a Sunday morning when we're going to have guests? No, it's really not in my job description. But I'm going to have guests. And if I'm going to be loving, I'm going to clean the toilet. You know, if it's backed up, I'm going to plunge it. If the floors are messy... We had a brief period of time that for six weeks we were without a janitor in the old St. James building. I mopped the floors. And I'm not telling you now to pat myself on the back, but love doesn't have limits. If you need to, if you need to scrub the floor every once in a while, you will. One of the things that I miss that happened every Sunday morning after church, every Sunday morning is there would be a fight at St. James. Only it was a good fight. Who was going to vacuum the floor after worship? Well, Devin would fight about it. Well, and then if it wasn't Devin, there was a whole list 
I see everyone's Dan would fight, you know, at, and there was no real fight. It was whoever could get to the vacuum cleaner fast enough to clean up. And you may think, who cares if somebody vacuums the floor? Love cares. And you know why? Because if the floor needs to be vacuumed and nobody else does it, one of the staff will do it. One of the staff will end up doing it. Or that you'll come in next week and we'll be terrible, terribly inhospitable because James and I will never think that the floor <laughs> needs to be vacuumed. And so there'll be, there'll be popcorn or whatever. All of that comes down to this. As neat as it would be as if God gave you an, a letter of intent, this is what your job is going to be. That's not what God does. God says, I want you to be love. I want you to be love if you're a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, a singer, a garbage collector, a waiter, a waitress, a dishwasher. Whatever you are, be love in that job. As messy as it is. As messy as it is. So be love in the unknown because that's what Jesus is calling you to. And if you're looking for Jesus to spell it out, he did. Be love. <laughs> be love. Love God. Love each other.